Hey, and welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am your uh, Erzatz host, Barnabas Piper. Uh, Ted Cluck is absent today, and so Ronnie and I are taking this one ourselves. Hopefully, we can uh, hopefully we can make our way through this without our professional host. Um, I feel a little bit inadequate when I compare myself to to Ted in the hosting seat. It's a little too big well, for me. You should. You should because it's almost like when one of us has to do a promo, we feel inadequate because you you own the promos. But what does Air what does Airzots mean again? I, I think it, it's like a it's like a sorry substitute with with crappy ingredients. How do you spell that? I can't even. It's visualize a German word, so I'm assuming there's lots of T's and Z's. I think it's E R S A T Z, maybe. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's Is one that of those words that I have. Airzots? I've read it and I've heard it in audiobooks. So we don't I, even know if it's the right, like well, how you said it. We have no clue if that was. What's right. German? So I'm sure I'm supposed to like hakalugi while I'm saying it too, but I don't know. I mean, um, how do you know that was even the right like definition of it in the way that you used it? I looked it up one time part. because I heard it. Oh, you did? Yeah, it was, and it was people. The reason I assume that's the definition, I didn't. I didn't look it up, but in context, it was. Um, people making coffee or tea out of like acorns and pine needles. And they called it like Erzatz coffee. And I'm like, Oh, oh man. So it's like a crappy substitute using the wrong ingredients, which sounds a lot like me hosting this podcast. And it kind of sounds like what I just liked. Uh, I just liked what you said though, about the, uh, the pine cones and the, the acorns and stuff. <laughs> You're like, that sounds Christmassy. That what well, sounds very fall. I and mean, it's September 2nd, <laughs> which is like, is the kickoff for fall for me. So I, I'm all, I'm all about it. I'm all up in that right now. So, yeah. Oh, but to save you from having to do a promo, um, I'll I'll bear that burden today as well because we do have a sponsor for yeah. this episode. Let's get into your um, space right now, Pi. All right, yes. Now now I'm back in my seat where I feel comfortable. It's broken in. It's warmed up. It's good to go. Um, we have our longtime partner, Dwell Bible App, uh, back sponsoring the podcast again. So if you go to if you go to dwellapp.io slash happy rant so dwellapp.io slash happy rant you can find out more details there but dwell is an audio bible app multiple narrators listening plans a whole variety of features to help you engage scripture in different ways they have music you can play over it if you want to kind of create a a listening environment they have read or listen and reflect types of things where you can listen to the same thing repeatedly on pause to help you memorize or study um it's an it's a really fantastic app that uh, I use with some regularity. My wife uses it every day. Like she's getting ready for work and just has it on. Uh, that's sort of her, her morning routine. And it's just a great way to sort of create an environment of scripture. Um, it, there is a cost attached, but with the, if you go to that link, I mentioned dwellapp.io slash happy rent, you get a 20% discount on either an annual or a lifetime subscription. And the annual one is less than $2 a month. So it's 23 99 for the year really not expensive and it's a it's it's a really valuable useful resource so go to dwellapp.io slash happy rent check it out download dwell today uh it's a great way to fill up your commute going for a run help you with studying memorizing etc so go ahead and check that out that was good man i feel like i i feel like too on top of that Besides the promoing uh, Dwell bible app i feel like i want to acknowledge something that just seems to pop up whenever an app lands without one of us on it. And that is that our good friend, my good friend at Jared C. Wilson will inevitably go on social media and just say, Hey, can you guys just, can you guys either just do these things, the three of you, or just not do them at all? That's basically, I feel like what he's saying whenever we drop a, uh, you know, sort of an insufficient app into his world. Do you want to know why that doesn't matter to me? 
because yeah, he listened to know that. because he downloaded that. and listened before he made that comment. He still listens. So so whether, so we win. So he still listens. Yeah. Whether it's a whether it's a happy Abby rant, whether it's a sports rant, whatever it whatever he is just consistently dissatisfied with, he still listens. You know how you know how network TV shows. Uh, you know, you get on CBS and they have all of these shows that are like the, the Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, whatever. And then yeah. they do these crossover episodes, which are which are never good. Uh, yeah. I mean, the whole show is not good, but the, ep- the crossover episodes are always like a half step down. And so I'm sure viewers are like, man, I wish they wouldn't do that. But guess what they just did? They tuned in at 7 p.m. and watched this crappy show. So if you wish we wouldn't do something, but you're still downloading and listening. How do we say I- thank you? Yeah, I just I really appreciate the time you've given us and uh feel free to send your comments to tcluck at uu.edu. Um, I mean, doesn't it just I, what I feel like it does is our less I don't know how to phrase it, you know, our less our less popular singles, you know, to use like a music term, it just gives strength to our better ones, you know. Well, see, and that's the thing is like you lived in the world of music that was not mainstream. And so yeah. Being criticized for not being popular or mainstream enough must just completely fall on deaf ears with you. Oh yeah, I just it just doesn't make any sense to me because it's like I mean at the rate that we drop that we drop these apps, it's like hey if you weren't real satisfied with this app you're gonna get like forty minutes into it and another one's probably gonna drop anyway so like just wait a minute like yeah or we'll take get- three weeks off because I forget to post something like that's that's how this works there's or a we'll uh, post something from four years ago that you've forgotten about or never heard anyway and it'll be like a new app so it have, doesn't matter have we ever made a promise to the listeners other than like sheet cake at the live event because I feel like we don't have anything to hold ourselves to so we can do whatever we want. Oh, absolutely. There are no, there's no promises here. I mean, we're not God. This is not, this is not Holy scripture. We're, we're, we're just, we're, saying, not, we're not covenanting with listeners to provide we're not covenanting anything with anybody, right? We covenant with our, really our wives. Like that's it. Yeah. Right. And then we, uh, and then we just, we record this app. We record these apps every week and either you get it or you don't, or you get a version of it that you don't like as much as the, the quote unquote real version of it, which because we've made no promises, there is no like real or unreal version of it. It just is what it is. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I just, I feel like we don't even commit to give like effort on this. We don't commit to anything other than we'll do this when we feel like it. Some of us don't even commit to recording like this week. Ted, <laughs> Ted, Ted, Ted did not. There was no breach of contract when he tapped out on this one. He just there was no breach. of. Con- I missed two weeks and you just got a little ornery about it like you typically do about everything. And like we just carried on, you know, yeah, or- no ornery is like my default response to anything that inconveniences I me slightly. So it's, really that you. wasn't remotely personal. It's just, of course, you know, yeah. I feel that way. Was, if- I'd be like, OK. That the response that I gave you about that is the same way that I feel like if somebody pauses for three seconds after the light turns green, there's just a general orneriness. Like, come on, you can do better than this. That's you can do better, and then one second later, you don't even remember you were ornery. Right? Yeah, exactly. You're ornery about something else. Just move on. It's you know, it's not a. This is not a deep rooted bitterness thing. Pipe. Why is here's what I want to know, man. So why is why is the pod better? with the three of us, why can we never get like a, a, a two for a combo with the pod where everybody's like, dude, that's the best one I ever heard. I just wish the, I wish the other guy would just sit out like forever. Why is that? I have a couple of 
of thoughts on this. One is, and I'm going to butcher. It's not. It's not an actual quote, but it's a comment that C.S. Lewis made. Whoa! You just pulled that one out of your hat, man. No. Uh, well, I heard it recently from from somebody on staff at our church, and we were talking about people moving on from the church and kind of the effect that it has, like somebody moved out of state, you know, somebody who was a leader and, and really great, whatever. Uh, and C.S. Lewis made said something. I think it was when, um maybe when Owen Barfield passed. So, you know, they had this group of friends and he said that when Owen Barfield passed, it changed the nature of his relationship with Tolkien. So that third person added something Uh, to the relationship between the two of them. So the whole dynamic, so it wasn't just like three minus one is two. It was like three minus one is, is orange. Um, And so it, it just, it shifted the whole kind of reality of things. The other one is just sort of the analogy of the three-legged stool. Like when all three of us are here, like we can be crooked, but we can't be wobbly. Like it's just, it's kind of always solid. And when it's two of us, we have to kind of balance it just right. Interesting. I'll go with both of those. And that was, that was sort of like a verbal Yoda tweet. No, no, and again, if I haven't heard a a C.S. Lewis quote recently, it's because I have not heard an evangelical sermon recently of which he's yeah quoted. and i managed to get lewis and tolkien into one story you so did. i feel like I'd, i've made up for lost time for some of you who have uh, I, I you know, haven't been able to go to church your white reform <laughs> pastor has not been filling your ears with quotes by samwise Gamgee and whatever else so i believe you're saved now Pipe. yeah there were <laughs> there were doubts before but you start quoting lewis and then not only that you do a double you do a dub lewis quote i'm like this is a man of god i'm talking to right now i felt like i leveled it out with the with the sort of like bottom shelf leadership analogy the three-legged stool because that feels like something that andy stanley would say so you know you've got we've covered all of white evangelicalism now other than the charismatics praise be so but you did that weird owen barfield thing which is like oh so hold on everybody pipe is a guy who's like read some like bios on the inklings at some point so like he like he knows his he knows his stuff for sure. Or you've just hung out with Ray Ortland for so long, you know everything there is to know about Lewis. I don't know. Well, the Lewis stuff actually comes from so Wheaton College is sort of a C.S. Lewis haven. There's the Marion Wade Center where they have the you know the the wardrobe that came out of his house, and there's C.S. Lewis oh, classes, and it's just sort of woven into a lot of the stuff there. So I took a class on C.S. Lewis. I took classes from two different professors who are experts in C.S. Lewis. So yeah, there's been a lot of that stuff just sort of massaged into my brain. And also, I love C.S. Lewis. So Yeah, well, you have that. to love C.S. Lewis. You can't, you know. Yeah, I don't I mean, know I if don't... you can be saved. I, I still find one of my favorite Christian ironies is that C.S. Lewis is beloved by all Reformed people, and he was not fond of Calvinism in the slightest. He I mean, thought he it was be, other, utter le- horse crap. I, yeah, he couldn't be like – he couldn't be less Reformed than he, he was, really. I mean – when you break down like Lewis's theology, we have so many issues with it that we just tend to go, oh, you know what? Just read Narnia. He's great. I, you know, Narnia are like my least favorite of his books, but that's probably a, an argument for a different day. Um, my One of my favorite Reformed things, and I almost said it instinctively until I caught myself and realized, oh, I'm a parody of myself if I do this, is to say something like C.S. Lewis was more Reformed than he realized. Oh, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. So we we understand him better than he understood himself. Right. He he may have hated Calvinism, but he was more reformed than he realized. So we'll just uh, smugly land on that with our conversation of C.S. Lewis. He it's was just he's a closet Calvinist. He just didn't know it. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think, um, it's funny that we don't do we don't do that with anybody else, or we at least have to wait till they've been dead fifty years before we give them those passes. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I feel like, and then we get very confused because then if they've been dead for like a hundred years, we start to dig up all the terrible things about them. So fifty years we adore them, a hundred years we're like, oh, didn't treat women very it's well, bad. Ugh, yeah. racist. Um, so. You know, with Lewis, it was like, ooh, he's been dead long enough that now we wonder about his relationship with whatever that woman's name was, Joy Davidman. I can't remember if that was the right, right one. But his wife, yeah. Yeah. Um anyway, enough yeah. about C.S. Well, Lewis. You know. So Ted's absence was uh was a late was a late announcement. So we lost all like, of our show abrupt. prep. Yeah. It was br- every, tell everybody every- tell everybody, like, don't give everybody the details, but like we had a we had a particular topic in mind, and then it was like the rug got pulled. Yeah, so we, you know, things have been crazy. Evangelical leaders have been getting fired or, you know, forced resignations and announcing that pandemics don't exist. And and then famous authors of leadership books are tweeting asinine things. And we were just going to go, like, so terrible it's good and just kind of go with this stuff. But we really need Ted for that because sometimes he has takes and sometimes he doesn't care so much that it's funny. Um, but yeah, I think we just... Sure. We have to shelve that and just see what crazy happens between now and the next time we record with him. So I had to go into my my uh, dusty archives of Happy Rant preparation and pull out some yeah. some notes on some uh, some things that I've been wanting to discuss with you guys. What's in your um, show vault pipe? I'm curious, man. I'm anxious to hear what it is. So yeah, so this is a this is a list of questions about the reading life of the Happy Rant hosts. Oh, man. So just. Okay. We we are book guys, as as uh, evidenced by our lengthy discussion of the Inklings just a moment ago, and our general smugness about life. Um, so we're book guys, and so I just I wanted to. We this is a conversation. This is not me interviewing you about uh, how we arrived at being book guys and how like what are some of our favorites and things like that. So I'm going to throw a question on the table. Yeah. We can both uh, answer it, and then. See where it takes us. This could this could be the suckiest episode we've done in some time, which is saying something. But here we go. You know, yeah. I say, okay. let's, I say, I say we try it. Throw it out there. What do you got, Pat? All right. Uh, so, what is the first book or a early book you remember loving? Like the one of those books that you're like, man, I read that all the time as a kid, or uh, that book made me love reading, or I remember my my parents reading that to me, or my first grade teacher. What uh, what is an early book you remember loving? Gosh, you know, it, it's funny because at some point, because I went to Christian school, I went to Christian elementary, middle and high school. So at some point in, I think my parents like evangelical journey, um, you know, coming to Christ, obviously Narnia was introduced. And I remember at some, I think I was probably eight or nine years old when my mom started reading uh, Lion, Witch and Wardrobe, like it, like did some bedtime reading for us. But before that, it was. Um, I, I think it was a bunch of nondescript um, – it was a bunch of nondescript uh, just children's books, you know, those really short ones um, that you – like when you're – sort of that thing when you're, you're – you start to – you know, you start to read at like five or six years old and then your parents start buying you these books that you're able to read and grasp. And so it's not like those golden books where they're like four pages, but it's like the next two or three steps above that to okay. where you're reading about a lot of like, you know, animal creatures that are like heroes. And I remember just um, I remember just spending a lot of time like pouring through 
uh, books of that nature. But the one that I remember the most, man, was um, my grandma bought me a book for my birthday. And it was one of these books that you could get custom made where you were like the guy in the book. You were the hero of the book. And so it was a book about me and it had all of my brothers and sisters by name in the book with illustrations that remotely looked like us. And I probably shouldn't be surprised that your favorite childhood book was about you. It was about, yeah, I know that that doesn't say a lot of great things about me right now, but it actually like kind of, it informs people's, uh, you know, kind of thoughts about what goes on in the, in the, uh, the psyche of Ronnie Martin. But, um, but yeah, that was the, uh, that was the first book I read. I, I don't remember what it was called, but I would read <laughs> to say more good things about me pipe. I would read that book literally constantly. I just, I loved it. It was my story. It was my story. All right. Uh, follow up question. And then I'll answer. Uh, do you remember any childhood books or like series of books, types of books that you just hated? You're like, these are the dumbest books. Yeah. I mean, not specifically other than I hated, um, I've always loved stories. So I would hate anything. I would hate anything that started getting tedious to read. That was more of like a technical nature. So if it's not, and I'm still this way in a lot of ways, if it's not intuitive, and it starts getting into histories that I don't care about. It starts getting into details that seem like things that I can't relate to. My mind immediately just, it just shuts off. You know what I mean? It has to be something that I can visualize myself doing and becoming a part of. And so there was probably things that were related to school that I had to read that I would just be like, this is ridiculous. I'm never gonna do this in life. I don't have any aspirations to do this in life. Um, and I'm not the, it's not, I might as well just grab the book that, that has my name in it and that I'm the hero of. Why would I even read this? Right. Yeah. Your aspiration was to be the hero of your life. So that's a good book to read. <laughs> we'll get some, we'll get a counselor in next time Ted's gone and we can <laughs> suss out some of this stuff. Right. I, okay. So my answer to the first question of yeah. favorite childhood books or ones that I remember, um, I don't know when this book came out. So I don't know if it was like new when I was little or if it had been around a while, but it was, uh, Comes, this will come as no surprise to listeners. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. I've oh, it's – I think they turned it into a movie, which doesn't make any sense because it's like an eight-page book. But uh, <laughs> it's it's a book about a, a boy who is the youngest in his family named Alexander who's like – whose siblings ruin everything and then he makes a mistake and his dad yells at him and like in the end of it is just it's been a terrible horrible no good very bad day and i think i'm gonna move to australia and like my mom gave me that book it was sort of her version of empathy it was oh, like yeah. here you have three older brothers and your life sucks some days <laughs> enjoy this she book. got she was under she she got you man she was understanding your play yeah she's like here this fictional character understands you um and uh, and it remains to this day. I, I used to read it to my kids, and they got the greatest kick out of it because you know they don't have a bunch of older siblings, and so it's kind of a foreign world to them. But it's it's the kind of thing. It's very much a misery loves company book, and uh, oh, yeah. So it 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 fed it fed my childhood cantankerousness. Pipe, let uh, me ask you something on that um, because it, it kind of made me think of something because I remember reading these. Uh, I remember reading these books, these, I think they're called the critter books to my kid, you know, this yeah. would have been yep. 20 years ago. Yeah. We love the, I love those books by the way, as an adult. Um, but what's they so sort of look, they funny, sort of look like little, like bug eyed gerbil kind of creatures. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And like, and, um, they were super, they were kind of funny. So they're almost more like, I, they were like adult humor for kids in some ways, you know, they were like that. 
I think that's why my wife and I loved them so much. But you know, it's so fascinating. I want you to riff on this for a minute. What's so fascinating about kids' books is they're all miserable stories at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, like they're all dark, tragic, and like in, let's not even get started on like fa- like Grimm's fairy tales, which are like uh, like unbelievably like dark and gory and violent. But like just regular run of the mill children's books, they're dark tales. Well, I mean, yeah. it's funny that we're like we're dishing these things up to kids, thinking. Oh, no, these are the happy books that they want to read when, in fact, like they're anything but that. Oh, and then there's the whole genre of like, hey, here's this great dog. Oh, he died. Like, yeah, every time. Old right. Yeller, Sounder, Where the Red Fern Grows. Uh, then there's The Yearling, which is the same thing, but about a deer. And uh, there's just, yeah, kids books yeah, are don't full even of like. Don't even started on Bambi. <laughs> uh, well, Bambi sucks. It's it's just a terrible movie. But um <laughs> And not because the mom dies, just because there's no characters in it who aren't annoying except Thumper. Um, yeah, I don't. It is really funny. Like, but I'm trying to think of kids' books that are that would just be like chipper and happy. And what a boring story. Like, I yeah. reading a book that's all just happiness and no conflict, no darkness, no nothing would be would be really lame. Isn't it weird though that we're like in a sense. A lot of like those critter books were like they were they were kind of amazing in the fact that it was always critter trying to work himself through like a lousy situation. I mean, it was life. It was literally teaching her some aspect of life. So it's kind of funny. Which I think is. Yeah, I think that's part of why there's so much darkness. It's like people used to have a sense of like, hey, kid, you better prepare because life's going to throw some fastballs right into your ribs. And so, you know, like you better get you better get up for this and now it's sort of like we just want to tell every kid they're special like every book is about kids are special and i'm like they're special until like their their best friend says they're not their best friend anymore like how do they handle that they don't feel special so maybe they're a book should be like hey we need to get a book that says like hey kid you're not as special as you think but you're still cool you know can like, you're you fine. imagine that can you imagine that children's book <laughs> hey kid you're not that special like no subtitle, just yeah. a kid. Gra- dot, grandma's fo- grandma's lying. You're not that special. <laughs> Can you imagine, man? That should be on. That should something that should come out on Crossway, man. Hey, kid, you're not that special. A uh, that's, guide that, that might thinking. that might be John MacArthur's like yeah. uh, magnum opus at the at the end oh, of you know, his baby, last let's book. Let's not get started on Johnny <laughs> Mac right now. That's not. Let's just keep that one. Let's wait till Big T returns and we can. That's called. Of, that's called a tease. It was a tease. It was a big tease for big. All right. All right. Next question. Still, still in the, the youthful and childhood reading. Uh, Hold on. What was it? What was a series of books that you hated? You oh, really uh, I hated, I hated all of the choose your own adventure books. Oh yeah. I forgot about those. They were like 140 pages long and I could never figure out how to read more than about 11 pages before I fell off a cliff or got eaten by a shark or like got beheaded by a madman. Like they just, it was always like, Oh, you took a wrong turn. You're dead. And, and there was just no finding my way through those books in a way that was satisfying. It's like, these are, these are the laziest kind of authoring is what they are. Like, I understand the, whoever pieced them together, I'm sure had a, had a pretty significant job trying to put these things in order. They sucked. Those books were terrible. Right, but I love how you're just kind of admitting like, you know, I wasn't that bright. <laughs> I get 11 pages in and I would just end up falling off the cliff every time. I could well, never no, make it's the like, right turn. It, you know, you get to the place and it'd be like to go down the, to go down to the basement, you know, go to page 27 to go to the attic, go to page 44 and whichever one I went to, 
I would die every single time. You know, maybe just like, every page you die. Maybe that's if you would have looked through all like, the other pages, they're yeah, all death maybe, pages. I, I, yeah, I would like to hear from a listener. Did you ever make it all the way through one of those with a happy ending? Because I think it yeah. was just you just died. Back to or your point every about every dark page children's death books. Page after like page ten. Yeah. Boy, what a what a trick! And nobody's going to like sit down and do the research to figure that out. Well, like, that you're ripping our so kids tedious. off. Like for me, I was the kid that would have been like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I'm gonna go ride my bike. Yeah, ex- I'm literally gonna go ride my BMX bike. I don't have time for this. Just get me to the end. Get me somewhere with this. You know, you're making me turn a lot of pages right now and like find numbers. I don't need to be doing that. You know. Yeah, those were those were my least favorites. Uh, all right, <clears throat> do you remember a book you were forced to read in school that you wish you'd read later? Like you read it in school and hated it. And this could be like all the way up to high school, maybe even college. And then if you went back later, you're like, yeah, that was actually really good. I just hated it because it was an assignment. You know, it's so fun. Okay. So you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to be able to speak into this one way better than me. I think pipe, because here's, what's funny. And this is what my big M, my wife, my beloved wife, this is what she always makes fun of me about because I went to Christian schools and not and pipe. When I say Christian school, man, I'm not saying I'm not saying like these really developed, you know, kind of like large, um, really great curriculum Christian schools. I'm talking about like these churches of like 110 people that, again, this was the 70s and 80s. Of course, like every church decided to start their own Christian school and anybody that could like lead a Bible study could get a job there as a teacher. Like that was the kind of Christian schools I went to. So because of that, um, we like all the school, most of the schools I went to, they, they didn't have us reading books, believe it or not. So it was like, you know, every once in a while you, you'd get something of like a, of like a Narnia thrown in there. But for the most part, they avoided the classics because the classics were secular and you might be confronted with something that was objectionable and they didn't want to chance that. So I literally grew up not reading classics until like way later, way after. So it's just the opposite for me, which was they didn't make us read anything other than like textbooks. And my wife always just goes, it's amazing you even know how to speak right now, given your your Christian background education. I don't know. You're like, well, I did motocross and music for a long time. So (laughs) being being a literary whiz wasn't necessarily necessary. It just wasn't necessary. And, you know, even though I passed all my classes, even though I was I was ended up being valedictorian by some miraculous act of God in your uh, class of four people, my class of nine. Yes, it's kind of the same thing. I love it. I love how you go four and you were that close to being on target. I love how you went to the furthest exaggeration of the joke you could, and you were only five off. That was Amazing. yeah, and it's like it's in the it's in the zero to ten range. So yeah, I Absolutely. feel like I, I feel like I pegged that one. But you went to you probably wait. You didn't? Did you do homeschooling or did you go to Christian schools? I did it all. So I went K through three at one Christian school, which it was slightly more developed than what you described, but yeah. uh, but still attached to a church. Then I did fourth and fifth grade at home, sixth through ninth at a different Christian school, which I would say was slightly, well, probably about the same level of development as the first one. So good education, but maybe not leaning into the literary sure, classic yeah. so much. Like we watched, right. we watched the uh, Thief in the Night movies for Bible class at that school that tells dude, you something about it. <clears throat> well, dude, it's it's insane because to watch Thief in the Night, I mean, Pipe, that was so 
after the fact for the era you were in school. I, I mean, it's it's oh those are, yeah those are crazy. hardcore like seventies movies. I was in I was watching those in middle school, which was mid nineties. So we were yeah we were a good twenty years late. You're then. way past it. I mean that's like that's like that's like me being in like a like a science class in the eighties and them showing us like Plan Nine from outer space to get to get us into like science fiction movies. That it's it's literally insane that they would have done that. So yeah, Christian school education, a uh, bit hit or miss for me. Uh, then tenth grade at home because I was uh, in, <clears throat> I was in kind of lockdown negotiations with my parents because I wanted to leave that school. I hated it so much, um, and wanted to go to the public high school. My parents um, did not want me to go, and so we compromised, and I homeschooled, which basically meant I did history and I did English, and I cheated on math for a year. Uh, I just got all the answers <laughs> out of the back of the book because nobody could teach me. Um, Pipe, hold on then, before you go on. You, the I the thought. Let me just add this: the thought of you going to a public high school for John and Noel Piper. I mean, it was basically it was like you were saying, hey. Can you book me a flight and let me just live in Las Vegas for the next year? I mean, that was literally the equivalent of like what you were asking them when you said, "Can I go to public school?" <laughs> well, not to mention one of my older brothers had had gone to another city, lo- a local city high school, and had not had a very good experience. Like he had had a lot of fun, exactly. but not a very good educational. That experience. was the problem. Is he so, had a lot of fun? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I and I was I wasn't a lot like him. But there was some similarities in that my my excitement was much more about playing sports than it was going to class. Um, so, but anyway, eleventh and twelfth was at the public school, public high school. Oh, graduated was. from there. Yeah. Okay. So, so you did end up. You ended up the wish dream. You ended up attaining it in eleventh and twelfth. Yeah, I I played the long game, and if you homeschool as a fifteen year old, you can make your parents' lives such that they would think it's much better to just hand you over to pagans to educate you. Well, and um, piping, you were number four, so at that point, it's like the typical. It's the old story of the parents not caring nearly as much as they did with like one and two. They're just so tired. Well, and and we had adopted my little sister at that point. So yes. I'm 15 and we have a toddler at home. And so like my parents They're are like, like just, you do whatever you want, buddy. Just leave. <laughs> just go. Get out of here. Just leave us alone. That's all we're asking. Yeah. Leave us alone. You know, I was able to to play the, but there's two or three other kids from church who go to this school. Like there's some, some of these, and they were like good friends of mine too. So it was, uh. It was easy to kind of finagle him into that. So I had a very, I had a varied uh, educational experience. Um, the book that I was assigned that I hated actually came during that tenth grade homeschool year because we did like this English class co-op mm-hmm. kind of thing. Boy, homeschool yeah. co-ops are just the best. I love them so much. Um, and the teacher for it, I think her name was Sarah. I don't remember her last name. And she was so enthusiastic, just loved literature so much. And she's trying to teach me a cynical, smart aleck of a 15-year-old. And she she assigns The Great Gatsby. And she's just diving into the symbolism of The Great Gatsby and the beautiful prose and this and that. And I was like, this book is the worst. It's so dumb. It's so boring. It's about nothing. That was my attitude at 15 or 16. Yeah. Well, I read it again maybe six or seven years ago. Yeah. And she was 100% right. (laughs) It's it's one of my favorite 
novels. And I'm like, yeah, it might be the great American novel. It's, it's pretty amazing. Okay. So, so you that, did a full, I mean, you did a hundred percent turn on that one. Oh yeah. And if I could, uh, if, if I could ever like reconnect with her in any way, I would immediately say, Hey, you probably don't remember this, but you assigned us this book and I hated it. And then you were right. So thank you. So what do you, I mean, what do you, okay. Cause because I've read a little bit of Gatsby, and I think I read it at a time like you when I just couldn't appreciate it. I didn't read the whole thing. Um, do you think it's – It's like 112 pages long. You can read the whole thing in an afternoon. But, I mean, is it just – is it the way it's written? Is it just going to be way beyond where, like, most, like, you know, 11th graders are? Is it just content-wise you're just – you can't possibly be interested in it at that age? Well, stylistically, think? it's written in a way – it has sort of that – 1920s mid-atlantic sort of vibe to it you know rich long islanders kind of right and so there's a whole ethos and vibe about it that yeah like a an inner city minneapolis 16 year old is just going to be like what in the blazes is going on here yeah for sure so yeah there's there so on my part there was a lack of appreciation for just super clean prose with you know sharp description and i just didn't have any insights into the human mind or condition or heart at 16 i was an idiot as are most teenagers (laughs) and so i missed all the important stuff that the book was saying about how they made decisions and motivations and mistakes and regrets and these just you know there's a lot in there that as an adult you read and you're like ah yes this he has his finger on the pulse of humanity in a remarkable way Andy well, and dude, I well. didn't even realize it was 112 pages that you almost that almost inspires me to go back and read the thing because I just long books are like the death of me for some reason. No, like it's, my wife, it's closer to novella than it is novel. Like it's not a long book, and it's a, which is so funny. I know, which is so interesting. And it's not a um, you know, there's some old novels that you get bogged down in because the prose is so dense. This yeah. is not one of those. It's a pretty light read, but the. In, in terms of like how it moves along, it's pretty crisp. Yeah, for sure. I know it's one of those ones that, you know, it is, it is considered one of the classics. You've either read it or you haven't. I, the one for me that I just can't, I've tried, I think I'm on my third attempt now is um, I'm blanking out on it. That's how bad it is for me. I can, it's that Dickens book, um, Tale of Two Cities. I just, I just can't. Uh, yes. I've, I've, tr- I've tried so many Dickens, times. Dickens is tough to read in that like his 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 books don't move they're yeah, they're yeah. his his writing is brilliant and his descriptions are amazing and yeah, he clearly that's all was he's a kind of describing things i feel like that's all yeah. he's, that's all he's doing the whole time which is the most ignorant thing to say i get it because i do like some of other dickens stuff but like that one for me i'm like literally like pipe no exage man i get i get a little further every time, maybe like second, third chapter. And it's literally like, I might as well just start over because I have no idea what he just said. I, I don't even know where we're at. I don't know what's going on. I don't know yeah. anything about the French Revolutionary War. And I feel like I know less about it now, chapter three in. I, I feel like um, Charles Dickens, yeah, heavy, heavy on nouns, adjectives, short on verbs. Not, like, not a lot, not a lot of movement. I know. Like, okay, so here's my question then. So wouldn't we say, this is what's so funny about that, because I, I forget who I had a convo with this about the other day, like being like, so I, okay, so I knew this, there used to be this prof from our university that went to, that came to Substance, and then he, he moved away and got another job. But we used to talk a lot about books. 
And he said one, and he was a crazy reader. So he's like the dude that literally has read everything. And he said one of the things that he hates about modern authors is they lack that sort of like descriptive, you know, sort of like style of writing that you saw with people like Dickens or with like Tolkien and, and CS and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, I said, but what's so funny is that like when you take creative writing classes and you try to be a little more descriptive, it feels like all you do is get blasted for being too descriptive now. Like you can't have that yeah. many adjectives. You can't describe I mean, It's like, well, yeah, but I mean, if you read Dickens, it's like, that's all that guy's doing. And yet if you, if you try to sort of have a semblance of that kind of writing now, it just gets super criticized, I guess. Oh yeah. And I think so. A lot of that is influenced by, you know, you get Stephen King's on writing and he, you know, he's like, kill your darlings. He hates adverbs. He hates and, all that stuff. Right. And, and, exactly. and he just, you know, he wants verbs and things moving along. And so it's, it, you, you leave the environment sparse so that people can fill it in with their imagination. Um, so here's the thing, like, th- but description doesn't mean the book doesn't move though. Cause like John Steinbeck yeah, is yeah. maybe the greatest describer of any author I've read, by my preference at least. But his books go places and do things and stuff happens and you wonder what's going to happen next. And I feel like with uh, with Dickens, I'm mostly like, yeah, I don't care. I'm not compelled. That was a really is good it, description. I can picture it really clearly and now I'm also bored with what's happening. Is it happening. just because he was – well, yeah, no, for sure. Is it just because he was – I wonder if it's because he was English and he's just – he's speaking in a way that is so far removed – from how we even process or think through things now that like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't land. Although when I read a, when I read a Christmas Carol, it's like that, but it's almost feels like it was written by a different guy than who wrote tale two cities because it's so more easily to under, it's so much more easily understood and it really does move, you know, and it's not very long either, by the way, which maybe helps. But, um, but I just think that's fascinating because if you even try to write a little more poetically now, it's almost like you get lambasted for not just like kind of sticking to it. And I wonder if that's more of just an American way of writing versus an English way of writing. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, um, American, but also just very modern. I mean, you, you look at, you look at the books that are considered classics versus the books that sell best today. You you can't even call most best-selling novels today literature. You can call them stories, but they're not literature. There's mm. they they're not I'm trying to remember the it it's a super short list of authors today who I go that that's a brilliant writer. Mhm. Yeah. You know, there's the Layfangers on that list. Pat Conroy's passed away now, but he was on that list up until a few years ago. Uh Frederick Backman is on that list. Um, there's not a ton yeah, of others sure. who you're like, these, these people write literature. But you know, what's funny pipe about that list is like, I'm even thinking of Backman and Angers and like, they're so completely different. And like, I could, if somebody, and I love Angers, you know, but if somebody came to me and said, his writing drives me up the wall, I wish he would get to the point. I would just go fair. Like, I don't, I can't argue with that. I just, I just enjoy it because of the yeah. way he describes things. But if somebody was going to make the case like, oh my gosh, it's like, what does the dude spend like four days on one sentence? It drives me up the wall. I would go, okay. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you other than that's fair. Yeah. Right? And I, I have had people tell me that they're like, his books are not about anything. And I'm like, that's, right. well, that's not true, but I can absolutely see why you think that. Yeah. So it's, yeah, 
It's, that's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. But back to the original point of uh, actually, we don't really have an original point now. We've been talking about Christian school. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was books that this- you books that you <laughs> hated and then came to like later. <clears throat> Let's reverse it, and this is probably going to be a better one for you because you didn't read anything. Um, books you didn't read that like most people get assigned in school that you discovered as an adult and thought, oh, this is this is pretty great. Well, this is going to be right in line with all of our, uh, you know, you know, Christian literature stuff. But I remember when I first got I first got married and um, I remember Big M when she found out that I hadn't read The Hobbit. I mean, I literally thought like our marriage is in, tr- is in trouble right now. When she, she went to the local priest and said, how do I get an annulment? Literally. I mean, it was like she was so offended by that she goes what did they what have they what what are they teaching kids in those schools anyway little lewis for you um but they uh but she was so offended by that and she said for the life of me she goes i cannot fathom that you didn't read the hobbit you haven't read uh, lord of the rings and so she immediately started me with uh, not the hobbit actually but with lord of the rings and so i read through all of that and i was um you know it's weird i was i read it way before the movies came out um and i was i read them all straight through. And I, I, I loved parts of them, hated parts of them, thought it was brilliant. Didn't think it was as brilliant as all the hippies thought it was back in 19, you know, 67. And, but I was, I definitely was captivated by it to where when I found out they were making movies, I was really excited about that. But that would have been one that just totally escaped me. And I I felt a lot of shame about it. But then when I read it, I was like, no, this is, this is something else. This is something different. This is something brilliant. This is not something you're going to see written again, probably, you know, in my lifetime. Yeah. And the closest things to it since then have been either more childish, like Harry Potter. Right. Or just like really dark and amoral, like, uh, um, the Game of Thrones series. So similar in terms of like world building and scope and whatever, but just kind of heinous in their own right. on that though, pipe, you know, let me just add this. So I remember when I was touring a lot, when Potter came out, um, and my wife had read, you know, the first one, the first book in like 20 minutes and everybody was talking about it. And normally I just kind of back off. I, I kind of wait till the hype dies down for stuff like that. But, um, big M kind of got me on that really quick. And I remember reading the first, I think it was after the second one came out. So I had a couple of them I could read and I was in an airport. And I remember just thinking like, man, I love these books. Like they're just I love how I love how fast paced they are. I love like the details she goes into, but she doesn't drown in the detail. And then there's like the story, you know, she really, really like moves into like character development. And I remember just thinking, dude, I'm a huge Potter fan. I love these books. Oh, yeah. Those those would probably fit the bill for me. Ones that I skipped when I was younger. I don't know when the first one came out. I want to say like late 90s, 97, 98. Uh, um, yeah. Early two thousands, maybe early two thousands. Okay, so I was I was past the point of being sort of age appropriate for those, and then I didn't read any of them until the first six were out. So oh, whatever. So I was probably mid twenties, and then I finished the sixth one kind of just in time for the last one to come out, and so I read that, and just yeah, I I mowed through those. It was like it was like a book a week, you know, for Dude, yeah. Oh, yeah, for six weeks, and then the seventh one came out, and yeah, and to this day they, they I mean they just. They're on sort of that pinnacle of greatest stories. Um, the, I think the one for me. <clears throat> so I think a lot of people get to kill a mockingbird assigned to them in school. Oh yeah, which is which is a travesty 
because that's not a book that it, it's a book that's lost on high school sophomores is what it is. And so I, I didn't ever read it because it was, it, it was never assigned to me probably because I skipped schools a bunch. And as a sophomore, I was homeschooled and my mom, you know, had me read other things, but, um, I read it when I was like 30. Oh man. And, and it climbed right to the top of greatest novels, you know? So if, if the great Gatsby sort of like literary quality, greatest American novel, this one was just sort of like the greatest, like grab you by the gut kind of novel. And yeah, just had no idea what I had missed. Although I also thought about it and, and thought if I had read this at 16, I wouldn't have read it at 30 and I would have thought it was boring. Mm, so I'm yes. glad I didn't. Yes. So yeah, that's a big one. I actually haven't read To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, really? I would love to hear your thoughts on it. It's it's another it's another one that reads quick. It's not super short, but it's not it's not like a fat novel. Yeah, you should definitely read that one sometime in the next couple months. I mean, I think the last classic that I read, um, I think right before COVID, was uh, Jane Eyre. I hadn't read Jane Eyre, and I finally read it, and um, it was just absolutely brilliant so it's like all the stuff that people have always said about it that's great is true you know kind of a thing i haven't read that uh, one the uh british british romance stuff is not on my was not in my purview for a long time and so uh it just yeah, other books have climbed the list before it, but it's on sort of the books I feel guilty about not having read list. Well, and I wouldn't, and I know it, it, there is like a romance aspect of it, but it really is more of, and I know what you're saying, but it's really more of like, it's, it's one of those things where it's a, like the writing is astounding. Like, like you're reading it going, I don't know how somebody writes like this. It's like so amazing. You when know, it's, you just, it's just, it's, you know, you can't even conceive of how somebody yeah. was able to do that. Well, and I would say, um, there was a long time where books like I was just sort of a sexist young man. So like teenager and early 20s, I was like, I don't want to read a romance story written by a woman. That sounds terrible. Um, that is no longer the case. But my reading habits have changed to the point where I just haven't sort of worked that back in. And I feel like I, there's sort of like a significant literary hole in my life for not having read books like. Well, Jane. Yeah, of course. It's just not it's like it's not something you're initially drawn to. And I think. In the same way that like other things I wouldn't be initially drawn to, like Melissa likes Melissa likes a lot of Stephen King and she likes like those she likes a lot of mystery. He's just a great writer, but she likes everything he does and she likes his real sort of like creepy mystery stuff. I'm just not drawn to that. I wouldn't say it's not good. I'm just not drawn to it. So it's not going to be a go to for me. But I realize at the same time that if I ever just dove in and gave myself over to it, I'd probably totally dig it. You know what I mean? See, I've read some Stephen King, and he's one of those guys who the creepier his stories are, the less I like them. But when yeah. he writes, when he writes just sort of when his imagination comes out to play, because I feel like his creepy stories are not as imaginative. It's just dark and ghoulish. But like, what was it? 11, 22, 64, 63? Sure, sure. One, it's, it's a book about a guy who finds a portal to go back in time, and his mission is essentially to stop JFK from being killed. Oh, but then right. he has to. Yeah. But he goes back a year prior to JFK's assassination, and so he has to live a year in that time period to get there. And so it's this—it's just super imaginative in terms of the relationships and the effects on the future if you succeed and so forth. And I—it's it, kind—I of, think it—it would be like King at his best because it's—it's it's not 
just sort of dark horror kind of stuff uh, or right. supernatural. It's it's pretty brilliant. Well, that's what I mean. So if you talk to Big M, she's always going to say like he actually doesn't write that much dark, creepy stuff. He he usually writes more of like what you're describing, just more like interesting stories. You know, he's known for dark, creepy stuff, but he but she always say the majority of his books aren't that. And so that's why she's always pitching me it. Like yeah, that. Like see, it's, not, he wrote, it's not like that. You know? He wrote The Green Mile, right? Right. Yeah. So The Green Mile is another one that it's it's not horror and it is brilliant. It's the characters are great. It has a supernatural element because he loves the supernatural. Like he's yeah, enamored with that. Yeah. He's enamored with it in a in kind of a dabbling around the edges way, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he does like the, what is it? The gunslinger ones or whatever it is. Dark tower, all that, whatever those yes, are. There's like yes. 72 books in that series. I've tried to start those half a dozen times. I make it about six paragraphs in and go, I, I don't know. What's, I don't care what's happening. That's so funny because like, don't you wish you would love it? Because it's like, if you loved it, there's so much of it. You yes. know what I mean? It's uh-huh. almost like when somebody tells you, Hey, I'm picking up Harry Potter for the first time. And you're like jealous because yes. like you wish you could do it again for the first time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, you know, starting on a TV series that you watch the entirety of, you know, those eight seasons, you're like, oh, this is great. You get to watch eight seasons of brilliance. I know. And you're like jealous. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I feel a little bit like that, but those, I'm just never going to love those from King. I know. It's weird. It's weird, man. All right. Last, uh, last question. Um, this is going to be the one. Yeah. We'll just end with this one. What is a book that is widely loved? That you cannot stand. Oh, man. Or you could Um, just answer, what is a book that you cannot stand? Yeah, gosh. I know I already talked about Tale of Two Cities, but I haven't even given that a fair shake. Um, I think the one in Christian... Okay, here's something. I'll just make this a little more funny. I think the one that... I think the cringiest one in Christian circles that like every woman and unhappy man has ever read is this horrible um book called redeeming love and um it's just like i don't know this tale of this woman that gets all this redemption and i think they're making a movie out of it right now but um that is something that even me big r with all of his christmas and love of 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 those kinds of like romantic tales like i can't get myself to uh to stomach because i you know, I, I like a little. Uh, I'm okay with a little uh, with a little cheese on occasion, but I do have my standards, and that is one that has just been sort of thrust, you know, on us, you know, on on the Christian community as something that, you know, you uh, it's it's a it became a it became like just this unheralded classic, and you're probably like I've never even heard of it, you know. I, I have uh, heard of it. I don't know anything about it. Um, it's funny to me how books are defined by eras. Yes, uh, for sure. You know, so like there there were phenomenon books of eras that have well ten years later just don't exist in, in consciousness anymore. I think um I think to get cheesy since I since I'm on a Christian school, cheesy Christian culture kind of mindset right now, I think I think at one point I read this present darkness and I was like, This is so dumb. Like I don't even know what <laughs> I read so here's the thing. There's the proper audience for this present darkness and piercing the darkness, which for listeners who don't know are spiritual warfare novels by Frank Peretti that came out I want to say early eighties. Um I read those when I was like eight. And you probably loved them, right? Because oh, it was so creepy. Eight yeah. eight to twelve years old is the perfect 
audience for appreciating that as long as the parents are very clear to say, this is not how spiritual warfare actually works as far as we know. This is allegorical at best, probably just imaginative nonsense. But I mean, Pipe, let me ask you this. He was for sure the recommended, if you like, Stephen King guy for for the Christian world, right? Yeah, prior to Ted Decker. Yeah, prior to Decker, right, exactly. And yeah. by the way, I thought for years, I thought Decker was Peretti. I thought they were the same person. So. <laughs> just like different pen names, or you just got Yeah, literally, confused? like I didn't, like, like if somebody <laughs> would have said, hey, have you read This Present Darkness by Ted Decker? I would have said, oh yeah, I hated it. You know, I wouldn't have even like blinked. Yeah. All right, so books that are widely loved that I can't stand. Um, I almost want to take this in categories, but that's cheating. Uh, so for example, like parenting books. Christian parenting books. I I have never read a parenting book that I liked. Oh, okay. So yeah, I was thinking fiction, man. So yeah, keep talking. I'll I'll, I'll be able to come um, up with something. Yeah, I mean, we, look, we yeah. can do a list of these. Uh, yeah, but yeah. the even the ones like shepherding a child's heart, uh, and some of those that are people are like, but it's a different kind of parenting book. It is a different kind of parenting book that I still can't stand. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's some of it's probably arrogance. I don't like being told what to do. And every parenting book, no matter how hard it tries not to, does a, if you, if you parent like this, your kids will turn out well. Like that is the innate promise. And I think it's nonsense. Um, I think every parenting book that I've read makes parents feel guiltier or maybe me, maybe it just makes me feel guiltier for not living up to the standards they hold. Um, and I think, I think there's a lot of extra biblical nonsense in them drawing on, like the Bible says, relatively little about parenting mm-hmm. it it just does yeah. you yeah. know it says like don't don't exasperate your children uh spare the rod spoil the child is in there raise up a child in the way he should go people a lot of these parenting books treat proverbs like promises which is also nonsense so yeah parenting books as a whole i just i yeah. really struggle with and yeah, think are terrible um yeah i'm trying to think of one that's just widely loved that I, I probably should have read into. a parenting book during my parenting years. But, so that's See, no, but here's story. the thing. If you had and things didn't go well, it would have <laughs> just added more guilt for you. Because yeah. it, it, and we it, all have enough guilt. That yeah, every parent it, you know. is either arrogant or guilty. <laughs> those are those are where we land. So and if their kids are just if their kids are literally like if their kids are just like killing it, they're arrogant. Yeah. And if their kids are just in their whatever their whatever their version of not crushing it is, yeah, they're 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 crushed for sure. Uh, I would also venture to say that I have I have achieved a level of hatred for Enneagram books at this point. Dude, have you read Road Back to You? Yes. Okay. I think this is probably a discussion for a different day, but uh, more and more. Fair. I'm, okay. I'm I'm coming to resent the Enneagram as opposed to finding it valuable anymore. Does your church like it or hate it? People at my church love it. The church leadership is silent on it because it's just like it's not part of how we think or what we do in terms of the, okay. the church as a whole. I just I find that it has it has moved from so there there's there's things that I I think it has value if yeah. it's used appropriately. The problem is it's never used appropriately. It is used so that I can think about me which we don't need any more help doing, or it is used so that I can label you, which we don't need any more help doing. And I I think the reason this dawned on me is because once it became very clear that I'm an Enneagram 8, 
I have been labeled an eight by people in a sort of writing me off way. Hmm. And, and so it's just like, oh, you're an eight. Like, yeah, it's no, I'm a flippant. human. Yeah. It's used very flippantly. And, and so, and, and the thing is, it's very easy for me to do that in return. Oh, you're such a whatever, such a one, such a three, such a whatever. I, I think the Enneagram is harmful more than it is helpful at this point. And so the more books that are written about it, which honestly, there's going to be a flood more because it's still very popular and people can make money off of it. I think they are uh, crystallizing things that are much that, that are really unhelpful by and large. That could be true, Pipe. I'm not even going to disagree with that. I am just going to issue a warning that the same people that might start saying Enneagram is harmful are the same people that might start saying we should defy the government and meet in our churches of like 5,000 people. I'm just saying. I'm oh, just that's, saying. No, and that's the thing is like I – I recognize that I might accidentally be siding with somebody who I wish would stop saying a lot of other things. Um, and I, I don't mean it that way. This is very context specific to totally, just the I'm end. totally joking. Yes. But you're, you're not wrong, though, because the Enneagram has been written off from the get-go by a certain swath of evangelicalism who, yeah. you know, they're like Enneagram, more like Pentagram. Am I right? And uh, yeah, and I don't. There's no nuance in that thought, and they don't understand what they're criticizing. But uh, I think what you said is right, though, Pipe. I mean, I think you can use it to write off people. Um, you can also use it as an excuse to justify your behavior. You can do that with any one of those personality right. tests, even though Enneagram's not a personality test. I know. The, the danger um, of the Enneagram is that it has been Christianized. Yeah. Where it's, it's – um, Gospelized, yeah. Yeah, and and so there's a – like it is not an innately Christian thing. It, yeah. Unless it is attached to something that has like a, a biblical moral gravity to it, it's just another labeling system that sort of psychologizes people, which can be yeah, very useful. Sure. So the people have it, – it just sounds like an, it, it has become another round of pop psychology with a Christian spin, you know, and – I think – yeah, I think you're right. I think it and is. And I think, I think that's it, harmful. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, I think – yeah, I think what you're saying – I. I wonder – I think what I'm curious about it with – and I talk about it more in jest than I do any sort of taking it seriously like some people do. But for me, um, I wonder if it's going to be something that has a shelf life to it um, and you know, five years from now, we're not really going to be making a big deal about it or if it's going to be – or if it's going to be almost like deconstructed in such a way that it's not really even the Enneagram anymore – See, I, I think it's going to so be, I, I think it's going to follow in the footsteps of the five love languages where people, people know their love language and don't know that that came from a book written by a Christian guy, you know, right. so five that love languages happen. written yeah. by Gary Chapman in the early nineties became like, it's a, it is a category of thought that people have that they have no idea is attached to a book. And I kind of think the Enneagram is going to achieve that, but it's more complicated, so it'll be on a smaller scale. There's there's nine of them with subtypes and wings and stuff. So you yes, that's what been, I was saying. Yeah, I think that's what I meant by sort of like uh, deconstruction. I mean, they're going to have to make it more simple because it does get into the weeds, and so you got they got to come up with like a three page version of it to where you can kind of look at it, kind of know who you are, yeah, and kind of kind of get to all some of the some of the outer lying, you know you know, kind of things that feed into it very simply and quickly. I think it's, 
it's still too complex because for you to have to buy a book like Road Back to You to even sort of get like a, a cursory like understanding of it, it just means that it's it's way too far over the heads of most people. They need to they need to distill it down. And then I think it could be I think that's actually brilliant. I think it could be like a five love languages thing for sure. Somebody, yeah. But somebody it's going to take somebody brilliant to grab it and say, we got to pop this. We got to make this thing more commercial. We got to make it more pop. And if they can do that. Yeah, man, they'll really have something. Yeah, it, I guess. I think part of the reason that I think part of the reason that that won't happen is because the people who love it love the fact that they get to like swim in the deep waters of self. So I got types and subtypes and wings and subwings and what do I go to in health and what do I go to in unhealth and it just all of this is just it's just orbiting myself. I'm getting to know me so well at the expense of me and everyone around me. And I don't think people are going to give that up. And so to simplify it is to lose like what makes it addictive. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I don't, I can't disagree with that, man. Yeah. So one, one last thing on the, uh, on the Enneagram, I had a conversation. Uh, my, my wife, Lauren went to a, an Enneagram seminar a couple weekends ago and nice. And so, which again, I don't, I don't, scoff at and i don't think there's anything wrong with it but the funny part of the conversation was she's like oh it's being put on by somebody who um she's offering this at a really i think she offered it for free uh and i was like really usually those cost a lot and she goes yeah she was gonna become a certified enneagram coach but it costs so much and then she was like how is you know the, the person who was gonna do it was like how do we you know how do you make this worth it and they're like well you charge a lot for your seminars at that point yeah. Um, by being a certified Enneagram coach. And so she decided not to be certified. And so she's just doing this kind of for people in her circle for free. Um, and I was like, this whole thing is nonsense. <laughs> it is an idea that somebody cobbled together and then attached a dollar amount to a certification that they get to hold over other people. Like it, it, I mean, I realize this is the way that all of America works. Like, I'm a certified leadership guru, or yeah. Whatever. I mean, you're talking about pre. You're talking about like guys that preach sermons now, too, right? So, well, but at least they have like a salaried position at a church. I, this is more like the leadership consultant, is what it, it's kind of. It's just that, but I'm like, it's this woman could have charged whatever she wanted and called herself a certified Enneagram coach, and it would have been just as legitimate as if she had received the certification for $8,000 or whatever from this other made up right. certified coach. Right. I don't. Yeah. It is. It is the strangest thing that, that it's now it, there, there's a level of sort of concreteness to this, that we can attach dollar amounts to certification or not certification Yeah. about something that anybody can make up anything about because it's, it's a cobbled together set of ideas. Except somebody would really are like a super Enneagram guy would argue with those last two sentences. They would take uppance to those. Sure, sure. they would. That's yeah. fine. Like it. They would say it's not cobbled together. If it's cobbled together, then you're somebody that just hasn't, you know, gotten your game down on it or whatever. Yeah, well, I think I'm, I think right, and then and then we pay them a lot of money because they they're the certified ones. <laughs> is is Lauren diagnosing you all the time now that she's had her uh, any seminar? No, she. What's funny is she went and she was like, I was like, she's, you know, you're such an ape hype. 
Well, you just she, said that because you're such. She a man. said to me, she goes, "I actually paid a lot more attention to your number than mine when she was talking through them because I wanted hilarious. to kind of figure this out." And I'm like, "I don't know if that's good or bad, but so far it's been fine. There's no, there's no like flinging it at me. The dismissive eight thing comes from other people, not the person I'm married to, which is great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I think I think the enneagram has become an excuse to stereotype people and to be a navel gazer. By well, and large. I think that's dude, how people I, use it. I don't think that I totally, it's not, I totally agree. So yeah, that's I totally why agree. I scoff at Enneagram books. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It is very navel gazy. It kind of keeps you trapped in sort of this uh, perpetual self-focus and it allows you to easily categorize people, which we like to do because that feels safer to yeah. us. So I would agree with, I would agree and, with you on that. And to end on a very churchy, uh, Christian-y note, the Enneagram seems to be opposed to sanctification the way that it is used by people because it is so much about who you are not who you should be like be growing into yeah Mm -hmm. and i have not heard anybody write or say anything useful about the enneagram as it pertains to growing in holiness one of those things matters the other one is a made-up set of nine numbers so okay yeah that's that true. that missing aspect of it, like if somebody could, if somebody could write a brilliant book about the Enneagram and growing to be more like Jesus, I may, I may make an exception for that, but I have okay, yet so to Pike, see it. There are people in, so there are people associated with my network and beyond that have all done exactly what you're saying. They're more quote unquote certified any people. They use it as a sanctification tool. They just not written books about it because they don't have like a platform to write books. But they've done all the work and the study, and they go and they'll lead churches and staffs through it as what you're describing. Like, hey, this is not just this is this is who I am, and there's no moving past it. And I just need I just get to criticize everybody else in navel gaze for the rest of my life. But they use it as a way to say you're just having you're just gaining better self knowledge as a way to, you know, become more sanctified in the different areas God's growing you in. So that, that actually does exist, right? Nobody's written I a book, understand though. the thoughts exist. I mean, I if I think about the Enneagram, I'm trying to think about it in that way. But yeah. I everything that is being sold and purchased surrounding this thing seems to be more pop yeah. psychology than grow in holiness. Well, if we can grow in because if we can grow in holiness with it at some point we won't need it anymore and then therefore it's not really selling you know, like it needs to. So there is that aspect. Man, I wish we could grow out of all Christian living books. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Well, then we wouldn't have anything to write about. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) If my, if readers didn't need what I thought I was offering them, it'd be amazing. So pipe, I think we've all grown out of it. So we should just like maybe cut the release of your new book. Everything will be great now. Everything's cool. No, I think my book is the, uh, is the icing on the cake. Is that it? Is that the Hoping final? for Happiness, releasing October 1st, is the final Christian book you need to read. I All think right. that's what we just landed on. No more. I, okay, after that, man, none of us are writing any more Christian nope. living. None. Ever. Not a single one. Hoping for Happiness, that, that is the peak. That's the pinnacle. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy with that. I mean, Good. I have a couple then, I'd like to write, but you know what? If you've written the pinnacle, why the book, would I The book worked, and you haven't even read it yet. Uh, well, I, I believe you, because you know, we're co-hosts. <laughs> I have to believe you. So that's yeah. not how that works. We got to end this. It's an hour yeah. and seven minutes. That's all right. This is what happens when Ted's gone. This is why. This is why at Jared C, who's no longer listening because he doesn't like us, uh, thinks it's terrible. Oh, Ted's gonna hate this app. And so Good. let me, since you, since you open, let me close and just say we've done. What we always do. We've wandered to and fro, and until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. 
If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, Here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.